In this episode, I discuss neuroceptive state shifts and gently allowing yourself to come out of your traumatized state. My hope is that you get some clarity on what change looks like for you and what you can do about it starting today. My name's Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist that thinks the world needs a new understanding of mental health. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. This podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended to be a replacement for therapy. This is an email I got from uh, Brittany. Says, hi, Justin, I've been listening to your podcast about a year. I was definitely skeptical at first, but am now very intrigued. I have investigated several other modalities as I've tried to heal some very significant childhood trauma for years without the benefit of professional therapy. So much of what I've learned here has resonated with me. I'm so thankful for your work and dedication to educating struggling stuck-knots and other clinicians. So you're extremely welcome, uh, person I'm calling Brittany. Thank you for listening. Thank you for giving it a shot. I understand I am quite a character, and so there may be some skepticism uh, about the podcast, but maybe you meant about the polyvagal theory in particular. And yeah, I think it's a good thing to have some skepticism and to look up Uh, critiques of the polyvagal theory. There are a couple of serious ones out there, and I would like to eventually address them on the podcast. It's one of my goals to have a a deeper understanding of that and then to lay those out here, uh, maybe as like a polyvagal 102 kind of thing. But I'm glad I converted you over to uh, my little cult of stuck knot here. But uh, let's be clear here. I don't know if, if you meant it this way, Brittany, but I hear this from others. Uh, the polyvagal theory is not a modality. It's not a therapeutic stance. It's not uh, a therapeutic or psychology theory. Not really. It's really you know the science uh, that lies underneath human connection. It's, it's the science of uh, human mammalian connection and how we respond to danger. So it's, it's science, it's, it's research, it's hypotheses with um, evidence to back it up, uh, but it's ultimately falsifiable, potentially. It's science, that's how, that's how it works. So it's not a modality, it's not like a, a collection of techniques for therapists to use. Uh, you can take that science and then apply it to our your or our therapeutic modalities, but it's not a modality in and of itself. It is, when you learn it, there is, uh, it does kind of illustrate a pathway of what, or a map, I guess, of what change can look like as far as the polyvagal ladder is concerned. It does teach us about the importance of co-regulation that obviously plays into the therapy room. But the theory itself is not a modality, but we we can use it as a springboard and apply it to uh, our professions and domains or fields or, or whatever, we can apply it. And so that's why it's been applied to therapy, but dentists can apply this to their dentist room. Psychologists can apply it to what they do, what they do. Uh, doctors, nurses, we, we can take teachers can take this and apply it to our individual professions. So, because it's just like, it's just the science that underlies the, you know, human interaction and so those of us in the service fields, there's there's an obvious connection there for us. But yeah, it's not a modality in and of itself. It's not a therapeutic modality. If you don't know what the polyvagal theory is, by the way, dear listener, 
I have a, a course called Polyvagal 101 that's on justinlmft.com. I also have it for free in the podcast in episode 101, and that goes through 109. Uh, it's a really, really deep dive um, audio masterclass in the polyvagal theory. So listen to that or go to justinlmft.com and you'll learn all the essentials of the polyvagal theory in about two hours. There are some downloadable PDFs. There's some quizzes for you to take to make sure you get it. Um, it's a video, exclusive video. And you'll also have an invitation to join me uh, once a month during my open office hours. So yeah, justinlmft.com. I think it's absolutely essential for those of you who are trying to do what uh, what uh, what Brittany here laid out, which is how do I do my own recovery without therapy? And there's a lot you can do without therapy. And I think learning the polyvagal theory is really foundational knowledge. It's absolutely foundational. If you're a therapist, you're applying, or you're, well, you're doing therapy, you're a therapist. I think this stuff is absolutely foundational knowledge as well. Um, so, so much so that if you start with Polyvagal 101, you'll be prepared to go to my other course, Building Safety Anchors, and then a third course, which is Unstucking Defensive States. They all will bleed into each other and connect naturally and be this like trio of trauma recovery classes or courses. So Brittany goes on to say, and she says, goes on to say, and she says, my question is, is it possible in an extreme shutdown state to experience long-term loss of bodily sensations? I have, I have heard other experts talk about numbing emotions as a result of extreme trauma, but I never heard anyone address the actual loss of physical sensations. For example, not feeling sensations of hunger or thirst, or not feeling temperature extremes like burns or frostbite to skin. So in general, I would say, you know, I, I feel comfortable saying yes to this, um, especially or maybe in particular with hunger. This is something I've seen in clients, even with myself. I'm, I'm sure you, your listener, can relate that when you're in more of a shutdown state, you, you feel less hunger. The body is in a conservation state, so there's less need for resources to come in. So in general, I would feel comfortable saying yes to this. In particular, something like eating or like hunger, there's probably going to be less of, of that um, sensation or that impulse to bring in new resources. Even when in a shutdown state or extreme shutdown state, there is less air coming in, breath, breathing becomes more shallow. There's also other physical sensations that might be kind of numbed, like, um, or that might change, like someone might feel more cold because their uh, blood pressure is, is significantly reduced in a shutdown state. So you might feel more internal coldness. But I don't know about like temperature extremes. I don't know, like, like long term. So I don't know. I don't know if someone is like numb to frostbite. It makes sense. I, I can't really comment on that in particular. In the moment of an extreme shutdown, it would make sense because, you know, the part of shutdown is numbness. So maybe you are numb to to something like frostbite. I, I don't really know. Now, that's immediate, though, like the Im immediate survival function of shutdown. Long term, I, I don't know about that. Ultimately, I'm, I'm a therapist. and So I, we got to keep that in mind. I'm a therapist. I got to stay in my lane. I can't really delve too far into 
the physical side of these things. I don't really differentiate, honestly, emotional and physical. I think they're pretty much one and the same. I know conceptually we differentiate those things, but I can't go further into like medical or potentially like medical kind of stuff as long as so far, so far I can go, go with this. Brittany goes on to say, my understanding was our nervous system first feels sensation or impulse, sensation or impulse, then the emotion, and then response. Is there a way to treat the body gently so that sensations come back into the window of tolerance and don't trigger one deeper into shutdown? Thanks for sharing your thoughts. So this is kind of how I understand the sequence of neuroceptive sh state shifts to be. There's a neuroceptive um, detection of safety or danger. And this is like unconscious brainstem level stuff. So we, we neurocept safety or danger from the environment. Then there's a neuroceptive shift up or down the polyvagal ladder. If there's a, a, a neuroceptive shift of safety, we go up the ladder. If there's more danger detected, neurocepted in the environment, we go down the ladder. And then bodily sensations are felt from that shift or during that shift, like with that shift. And then an impulse follows or maybe happens uh, simultaneously. I've kind of conceived it as following the the uh, the sensation of the neuroceptive state shift, but maybe it's simultaneously. I don't, I don't know how important that is, but it seems to me that when we work backwards in therapy, that someone will first feel a sensation and then feel the impulse that is like connected to the polyvagal state. And then if they can act on that impulse, that helps that the, uh, the polyvagal state to shift upwards. When an impulse is frustrated, or if it's like unable to complete, then someone experiences emotion. So emotions emerge when a, a, a bodily impulse it's just kind of lingering, has not been able to complete. That's how I understand that. Emotions are more consciously felt, like we're aware of it. We can feel it. We can name it more or less, not all the time, but there's probably more of a potential to do that. But emotions can obviously also be minimized. They can be ignored. They can be stuffed down. Uh, all the more negative, we'll call them coping skills or behavioral adaptations, the, uh, according to Porges, the behavioral adaptations are things that we do to reduce our defensive state. We can also do this to like numb out or to reduce the the intensity of our emotions, which are connected to a frustrated impulse, which are connected to a polyvagal state. Now, along with the emotions, just to kind of add to this, Along with the emotions come cognitions. And again, this might be simultaneously. I actually would argue that it is. So we have that state shift. We have the impulse. We have sensations. But along with that or after that come emotions and changes in cognition. These, uh, these both stem from cognitions and emotions both stem from the stuck state's impulses. And emotions and cognitions both reinforce the, the uh, stuck state as well. So when you are stuck in a shutdown state and maybe you have an impulse to to uh, reduce stimulation and to be alone maybe 
and to hide until it's safe to come out, maybe. When you have that impulse, you're, but we don't act on it, it just kind of lives in the system and is probably felt as depression. And the feelings are sadness and a lack of happiness, a lack of connection, feelings of loneliness. And then cognition shift as well. So it's not just the emotions change, but I mean, not just emotions come along with that, but also cognitions. You're going to have thoughts of how worthless you are. Not that I think you are, but you'll have thoughts that are describing a world or a self that is of low worth or pointless or or very self-defeating. So your emotions change along with your state shift, but also your cognitions, your thoughts, your the memories that are that may come to you, the thoughts you have about yourself. The flavor of your thoughts will be very numb and uh, slow, probably, I would say. These emotions and these thoughts end up just reinforcing the stuck state that someone might exist in. These emotions and thoughts may prevent you from acting on that impulse that's within you. Because if your impulse is to isolate and be alone, if you were to listen to that, you might go, to a comfortable spot where you feel some safety, but where you can actually immobilize and mindfully attune to your state, to your shutdown state. You might give yourself quiet and non-judgmentally feel that. But what ends up happening is that you may feel that impulse, but rather than acting on it, you tell yourself, why am I so weak? Or I wish I was stronger, I wish this would go away. Or, or you may say to yourself, as you listen to me right now, you might say, Justin, yeah, you're right, but there's no point. It's not going to get any better. So your thoughts will stop you from mindfully acting on the impulse that might be within you. Brittany's question, though, is, is there a way to treat the body gently so that sensations come back into the window, the window of tolerance and don't trigger one deeper in a shutdown? And the answer is yes, yeah, yeah. But you have to build the strength of the vagal break. The vagal break, as you would learn in polyvagal 101, the vagal break is the, the strength of your social engagement system and, and its ability to keep your heartbeat at a calmer pace and to tolerate uh, c climbing the polyvagal ladder and to tolerate the fear that may come along with getting unstuck, especially out of a freeze. And to be able to tolerate flight fight energy coming back into your system, the vagal break has to be stronger. If that's true, then you will be more capable of mindfully experiencing these stuck states, impulses, and sensa sensations. Right now, as you listen, you may be able to notice what your the flavor of your cognitions are. You might be able to say, my thoughts are very uh, empty or... Um, Hopeless. Hopeless is, I think, a good word. Or maybe in a fight state, my, my thoughts I can recognize are, are very, are full of blame and judgment and maybe shaming of others. Not taking responsibility for my choices. So you might be able to recognize the flavor of your thoughts. Now, if you can do that or mindfully recognize the, the emotions you have inside of you, if you could do that, then you might be able to go a bit deeper and feel 
the sensations that underlie your emotions and maybe even a bit deeper and to actually feel and act on the, uh, the impulse that you have inside of you or impulses to gently be able to tolerate the sensations that she's talking about. You have to be able to stay grounded in your safety state. You have to be able to do this kind of work, this mindfulness stuff from a place of curiosity, not judgment, not evaluation, not trying to stop it, but actual curiosity to be able to welcome it. You may even be able to, or, or need to, accept uh, co-regulation from somebody else, someone in your life that's able to provide you some, some safety cues from them to you. You may uh, need to be able to do that to, to help you stay grounded in your safety state, like in therapy especially. To stay grounded in your safety state, you may need to know what your safety anchors are, to know what helps you to feel grounded and in the present moment. My course, Building Safety Anchors, is really helpful for that kind of stuff. It's really all about what brings you to the present moment, what helps you feel anchored, what helps you feel safe, what does that feel like? And it teaches you six different paths and, and guides you on how to practice doing those. And then I have another course coming out soon called Unstucking Defensive States, and that's going to teach you how to directly feel, experience mindfully these stuck defensive states and how to actually get some relief, do some discharge or do some ladder climbing. So yeah, it's, it's possible. It's possible to feel, to have a greater window of tolerance, to feel these stuck defensive sensations. But you, you have to build the capacity to do so. It's not easy. Overall, it's, it's a gradual process. It's a gradual process of building your capacity to be mindful about what's happening within you of knowing when to start doing this kind of mindfulness work, of knowing when to stop, knowing what your line is, of knowing what brings you to safety, and then putting these pieces together and setting yourself up, up for success. One of my um, Building Safety Anchors participants, Stuck Knots, she was saying that the, uh, the movement module was too much for her. And so she had a lot of reluctance to do the movement module, but she was going through things in order. And of course, you, you can, you know, mix up the modules and do them, you know, different sequence if you like, but she wanted to do them in order and she found a way to make it work. Uh, but there was a lot of reluctance at first. She did find a way to make it work for her and do these things in a, in a tolerable way. So basically, she was able to identify when to start, when to stop, how to stay grounded in safety and to get through the steps. There was enough mindfulness of her of her of her capacity, of her tolerance level, to be able to to, get, to make it work, to be able to make that work for her. Um, but really, it's like basically we we have to identify what safety feels like for you, or you have to identify that, not me. You have to you have to identify what safety feels like for you. Practice it. Be in it. Practice it. And that will help you build your capacity to handle uh, more difficult things. That's my priority as a therapist. My priority is, are you grounded in safety? If yes, can you make that choice to delve further? Because it's a choice you make. But yeah, the, the answer is, yeah, yeah. there's a way to, to handle these things more gently. You don't have to like plow through them. I, I, don't, I don't think it's helpful to, to just plow through the stuck defensive stuff. It actually could be re-traumatizing in my opinion. 
not just my opinion, it, it can be re-traumatizing if you're not ready for it and you try and just like plow into it. Uh, it, it very well could be could be uh, re-traumatizing. If what you're doing is causing you to go into your shutdown state all over again, like if you come out and then go back down, that's probably a, a good indication that it's too much for your system right now. It's probably a good indication that we're just not ready for that. That this could be even like talking to your therapist about, you know, what whatever it is, or sharing the trauma narrative story, like that may be, or the event that led to a stuck traumatic state, that might be too much. That might could easily send someone back into a, send somebody back into a shutdown state. I've heard this from people who take EMDR. So EMDR therapists out there, be be mindful, please that when they're instructed to actually trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapists as well, uh, I've heard from people that tell me that they just kind of numb out, they shut down because they're kind of expected to just tell the story and it's too much and so they shut down and they'll say, I don't know how I got through it, I just kind of got through it, but I don't think it really helped me. So I I would encourage my my peers there, my therapists to be mindful of that. This could come from, you could totally send yourself into a shutdown if you're attempting to look inward, do that stuck not work of looking inward, journeying inward and med- maybe meditating on what's happening on your, on your emotions or your sensations before you're ready to. Or maybe even like looking at past events. I don't recommend you do that. Uh, but that may cause you to go into a shutdown again. And that's just reinforcing the trauma. Um, I've even heard from people saying doing yoga practices, doing some type of movement before they're ready to or in the wrong context or not having things normalized, that this could be like this could send them into a, a shutdown state. So it's important for my uh, yoga peers, and I know you all do this already, but maybe normalizing ahead of time and giving permission for people to not participate in certain aspects of yoga might be helpful to give them that capacity to make a clear choice. That's, I think it's a gentle way of approaching these things is to know you can choose not to. But yeah, if you, if you do any of this stuff before you are ready for it, it may send you into a shutdown. It might be re-traumatizing. And we, we don't want that. We, it's completely okay to welcome a shutdown. I think that's a way to be gentle about this stuff is to actually welcome it. That might sound weird, but that's really what it comes down to is these feelings are already there. So you might as well welcome them to be there with you. That's the way I look at these. This is if you are filled with anger, uh, it's already there. You can do the best you can to keep your mind off it. That's fine. But at some point, it's okay to gently tell yourself, look, I I feel this way. I feel this way for a reason. It's okay to feel this way. And I'm just going to let it it be there for a little bit. I'm going to just let it be there. I'm not going to reject it. I'm going to let it be there. I'm not going to like do anything about it. I'm not going to try and fix it. I'm not going to examine it. I'm just going to let it be there and I'm going to notice it while I also do something that's maybe more grounding or while I also go and focus on just something else. So it's not about rejecting. It's about eventually gently saying, hey, you're welcome to hang out with me to your your emotion or those sensations. Just I, I feel you, sadness and aloneness and grief, maybe longing, missing. I feel you. I recognize you're there fighting. It's not doing any good. So you can hang out with me. I'm going to put you in my pocket. (laughs) I'm going to put you in my pocket. You can follow me around all day. I know you're there anyways. I'm not going to reject you. 
I know you're there for a reason, so you're welcome to hang out with me, but I got stuff I got to do today. And it's also okay for me to to feel safe. It's also okay for me to feel some connection or relaxation or joy or happiness or playfulness, whatever it is. To, it's okay to have both of these things and to invite both of these things or more. It's okay to invite these gently to be there with you. So maybe, that, maybe that's what being uh, gentle with your sensations and your emotions sounds like. Thank you for listening, fellow stuck knot. I do hope you've learned something new to help you in your own process of getting unstuck. Uh, if so, head on over to justinlmft.com. There's a lot more there. Please share it with someone you care about, someone you think that could benefit from it. Again, justinlmft.com. Bye. This and other content I create is not therapy, not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you are experiencing mental health symptoms. Nothing should be understood to be specific life advice. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only.